Hi, I'm Jerry House. You know, I've known these shady ladies for a very long time, and I love to hear their stories, but you have to take them with a grain of salt. Now, these tales and opinions are not for the faint of heart. And this podcast is not suitable for children, but then neither is the music business. So light one up and lighten up, because you're listening to the Shady Ladies of Music City. Is this on? Are we doing it now? What are we saying again? I'm Evelyn. And I'm Susan. Some people refer to us as... The Shady Ladies of Music City. Most of our clients are dead. Well, first of all, not all of our clients are dead. A lot of my friends are... Well, maybe they are. Let's no. think back on clients that are dead. No, we have a few that are still alive. Well, who's dead? A few important ones, like George Jones, Tammy Wynette. Oh, right. Glad to remind you. That's right, I remember them. So throughout our career, we've ended up having to deal with a lot of strange things, including funerals. One of the most memorable, you know, was the Tammy Wynette funeral. You know, Tammy Wynette was very, very uh, special. And George Jones, God knows, took up, you know, a huge chunk of our lives. You know, they're definitely gone. So they are, you know. So who else did we work with that died? Buddy Lee, we never worked with. Johnny Cash, we... But we didn't, you know, those were not people we were close with. Tammy and George. But they were clients. Yeah, Tammy (laughs) and George were the biggest ones. Well, get into some Tammy stuff because... um, Tammy was psychic in a weird way because she always had these premonitions about people dying. And uh, she would hear bells. And she was convinced that that was heaven welcoming the people. And uh, of all the clients we had, Tammy was, Tammy and Willie were the best, the nicest people that you've ever meet. And she was just wonderful and made you feel really comfortable and warm. And uh, She actually asked you stuff about yourself, you know, so many, you know, celebrities. It's all just, you know, me, 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 me. And, um, you know, Tammy was actually curious. She would remember people's kids and their families. I mean, fans that would just come up to the stage. And she was always just, you know, she always remained like a country girl. And, you know, she would cook and, you know, make crazy, you know, southern dishes. And uh, she always kept a big crystal bowl full of cotton in her living room because she had had to pick cotton during her life. And you know what a you know how lucky she was to uh, to have had that success. But when Tammy died, Tammy had been sick, you know, for years, as everybody knows. And you know, you never really, you know, you always thought she was going to die, but she never did. And so then you took it for granted that she wasn't going to die. But Susan and I had taken the asylum job, and um, Tammy was really happy and excited about it. And um, wrote us an incredible letter about us being the first women to ever run a label. But um, she was very cool about that. I was having a meeting with some people about we were we had taken the job, and the next day uh, was supposed to be our first day on the job. And they had fired everybody that had worked at Asylum. So you know there were meetings that evening, and uh, meetings that evening we couldn't even get in the building. They fired everybody. We had no keys. We had no idea how to use the switchboard. Nobody was there that knew anything. But this was the night before when we found out that Tammy died. Mm -hmm. So I go over to Susan's to to talk to her, and she had been called uh, by a press person, 
and said, you know, that they had heard that Tammy had died. Now, people called us all the time having heard that Tammy had died, so we didn't really take it that seriously. When I got there, we called back to the house, and sure enough, Tammy had died. And um, it was just a nightmare because up to that moment, I had been Tammy's press agent, and before me, Susan had been Tammy's press agent. So it was, you know, we had to handle all the details of that. And uh, it just, you know, became really crazy because I had to write a press release about it. And I had to deal with, you know, the media calls, of which there were tons and tons. And then immediately, you know, all of the press started arriving and it turned into, you know, a huge circus out at the house. She had a very elaborate kitchen with couches and everything, you know, a real comfortable area. And, you know, she was really sickly at the end and was basically just, you know, laying on the couch as opposed to... She was really sickly. She had uh, scar tissue and she had like 40 operations. It was really horrible because she was so fragile there at the end. You know, and she didn't really get to enjoy much. You know, she couldn't eat hardly anything and she had to have special doctors flying in and... It's pitiful, but uh, she still maintained uh, her little weird sense of humor, but she, she looked kind of odd there at the end. But ultimately, she died in the kitchen on the couch. And in the couch <laughs> in the kitchen, and what happened is, the horrible thing is that when they had the funeral for her, well, I was just hysterical, I hate funerals, but they had had to leave her in the kitchen until her doctor from Pittsburgh came down and identified what she died of. So she was in the kitchen for hours, and when we got to the funeral home, she was all blown up. Just totally didn't look like Tammy at all. And it was... That was at the private viewing for the family and and close friends. Um, And it was an unfortunate memory of of how it was, but... Because that's how Tammy died. It was horrible. The funeral turned into, like, this huge thing... Uh, Susan has a very good friend, John Michael uh, Sigenthaler, and he was working for NBC at the time. And somehow or another, I don't know how, it ended up being aired worldwide on TV. He got it on the, on the CNN feed, but, but he was with MSNBC then. I know, so I don't know how it ended up on but it's, CNN. I don't know, but it was on the <laughs> CNN feed and it was worldwide. And there were so many people outside the Opry House waiting in line to get in. Hundreds, maybe Well, it was, you know, it, it was a, a huge funeral because they did the private viewing for the family and, and close friends the night before. Then there was the church service, and a lot of people performed. I mean, just, you know, I can't even remember everybody who uh, performed. And then there was the... Um, I think the Judds performed at the church. And did Dolly perform at the church? I think so. Lori performed at the church. Did Loretta? I don't know. But then there were performances at the Ryman afterwards. And... uh, But it was, you know, it was a pretty extraordinary thing. It was the first, you know, country funeral to to air worldwide live. Let's say Eddie Arnold's funeral didn't air worldwide, you know. So Elvis's might have, but he was not down But here. it was a different time. It was. There you wasn't know, as much media. The, yeah, and, you know, the, the cable 
universe and all of that, they needed programming. But Nashville was much more family-like back then. And everybody kind of knew each other, especially at, at that level of performance. And, you know, Tammy was just, she was the queen. And then several days after the funeral, I think the day after the funeral, a letter showed up from Tammy that had been that she had written about us uh, taking over Asylum and how proud she was One of, these of psychic us. Psychic things, and uh, it had been faxed, but nobody had looked at the fax machine because everybody was so busy, you know, dealing with the, uh, you know, I'm, you know, people don't think about faxes nowadays, <laughs> but in those days, you had to go to the machine and get the fax. And nobody had done that. And to get this, you know, letter from Tammy, you know, three or four days later, that was just, you know, so loving and smart and, and you know. She was very suspicious about uh, death because she would hear... She was very psychic. She would hear bells, bells when people died. When people died. And I remember she called me one morning and told me that she had heard bells. Did anybody die? And Evelyn's father had died. And it was so wild. Yeah, Tammy was psychic. It's shocking how many people are dead. The truth is now when I go into my address book, half the people on the pages are gone, you know? And I look at their numbers and I think, God, you know, I called them so much. And I'm afraid to erase them. I don't know why, but I don't. But, you know, it, and also I think that, that, and I'm sure it's probably all music business funerals, but, you know, certainly in our career, we've been involved in quite a few funerals. And it's, you know, you get, you know, everybody has a job at a funeral when it's a big uh, uh, celebrity funeral. And immediately, you know, the band has, you know, gets drawn in uh, quite often. You know, people do musical tributes during, you know. Um, so all of a sudden it becomes almost like a work thing. It's a very strange thing, you, you know. We took care of all the press and the passes for the family members and, you know, the, uh, yeah, we had to make up special passes. You'd have to get the music together and get the performers and who was going to sing what. And you'd have to have a stage manager there and go through just like you were putting on a show all of a sudden. That's what it turned into. You know, real life sometimes is weirder than fiction. And you watch it play out and everybody has their pecking order for the funeral and how they're going to be uh, dealt with. Well, Johnny Paycheck, what? Okay. I was going to start with Nancy and George. Became very obsessed with his uh, cemetery uh, area. And we actually had meetings, lots of meetings, where we discussed what was going to be there. And there was going to be this big archway with He Stopped Loving Her Today. And then there was going to be, you know, a pair of brass boots for who's going to fill their shoes. And, you know, it was just this this whole elaborate plan, which would require, you know, quite a bit of land and a lot of different plots. And so they bought quite a few plots out there. I, you know, I don't remember the exact number, but maybe they like bought say, a lot because they thought a lot of people out at the Opry didn't have money to pay for their own funerals. So George would nicely, shockingly buy the plots for everybody. That's not quite true because they were never that generous. Um, in terms of, you know, they hoped that some of the Opry members might want to buy one of their plots and have everybody together. I thought they were going to give them the plots. They were never going to give them. The only people they were giving them to were their family members. 
They but they needed like to know the right members. then and there. You know, they had grandkids that were like six years old, whether they would agree, they were going to need a plot or not. And it was like the craziest conversation of, I need to know right now, right now. Are you? <laughs> and um, they ended up giving me a plot and my husband. Um, and then George was unsure about Susan. And I knew it was because I was am Jewish. And so I think I teased George about it, you know, not in a big serious way, but uh, about two months before he died, I got a letter from him and it said, hello, my little Jew. You know, I know that we had a rocky relationship and things were tough between us but I've decided that you can be buried at the cemetery next to Johnny Paycheck, even though you're Jewish, which was a huge concession for him. Uh, I don't know why, but it was a huge concession for him. So, you know, now I, I sit around and think, I made such a big to-do about that. Do I want to be buried next to Johnny Paycheck? I don't think so. Don't and George had ended up, when Johnny Paycheck died, he didn't really have any family, I guess, and nobody really claimed his stuff or there was nothing to deal with. So George had him buried out at his, uh, you know, amongst those plots. He was the only person buried there for a long time. But that was also interesting because people used to come there and leave money on his uh, gravestone. And uh, I, of course, now have done a blank on what the hell the song was. What was the song that he had that made... Take this job and shove it. No, but he had another song about money. <laughs> <laughs> because why? There was a reason people left money. <laughs> and I don't remember what it was. But, you know, the weird thing is that a lot of these people that toured, you know, that had like one or two hits and they had careers that lasted forever because country music fans are so loyal. They used to be. And, you know, these people would go out, Johnny Paycheck and uh, Webb Pierce and all those people. They would go out and Laurie's father, George Morgan, they would go out in uh, a car and they would all drive out and do dates in cars. You know, they didn't have buses or anything then. And... Uh, I wonder, you know, these people didn't make that much money. And, you know, George and Tammy told us once, and they were the biggest, you know, touring act that was going on for years. They only made $5,000, and they thought that was a lot. Well, on the George death, <laughs> uh, it was, you know, it, it was just another bizarre, you know, situation. But, you know, we jumped right into it because, you know, regardless of, you know, you have spats with people, you have falling outs, and when you have a long history together, you know, you, you always end up sort of coming back together because you have a shared history and uh, all of that. So when George died, we immediately, you know... Uh, called Laura Bush. Yeah. I called Susan Laura Bush. Susan got Laura Bush to uh, the whole thing. and Because she had, when George had gotten the uh, Kennedy Center honors, they always have someone who uh, presents the award to you. When George got it, it was Nancy, uh, Nancy, um, not Nancy, uh, Laura Bush who presented it to him. And she was so elegant and great. And she, that whole family loved George. They were a big country music family. And uh, I, I used to send them all albums when we had Bandit. Uh, 
any new album we did because George uh, Bush loved it, George Sr. and Jr. But uh, George had a very famous song called uh, Walk Through This World With Me. And when Nancy, uh, when uh, Laura Bush was inducting him, she said, I had my own George and we walked through the world together, which was kind of touching and really nice. And you know, you know, you knew how much uh, he meant to them. So, so Susan called. <laughs> so I called her assistant to see if she wanted to perhaps be at the funeral. And she came down. Gracious, gracious people. They were very gracious. Of course, we weren't allowed to see them at the funeral. Nancy took over with her publicist. But, you know, and, and it was a bizarre thing. The, uh, <laughs> well, I was thinking of, uh, what do you call it before the funeral? The uh, viewing, not the viewing, but I guess it was it the is a viewing. viewing, yeah. Uh, at the funeral home before the funeral, uh, there were just thousands and thousands and thousands of people lined up to go in. And Nancy, you know, had an open casket there and um, people taking pictures. It was horrible, in my opinion. You know, and it was weird. And, and a lot of George's good friends, you know, people that I knew that he really had affection for, were out there waiting in lines for hours. and. Uh, you know, my whole thing, you know, just was to, you know, move them up on the line and just, you know, get people through because... You know, there was Loretta, there was, you know, everybody taking pictures of the body laid out. It was just horrible. And his kids, and they were fighting with him, and they didn't get to see him, and it was one of those weird country music funerals. I mean, that's the thing that, that is, is so sad at is that so many country uh, people, you know, country stars, particularly of the older generations, they came from like a really rural kind of, you know, poor background. Poor. And um, the families just kind of dissolve into these horrible fights. And, you know, I remember Tammy saying that she had taken care of her will and, and there was no way that her kids were going to fight. Um, like Conway Twitty's kids had. That was a very public, nasty kind Awful. of brawl. And Tammy's was, was worse. You know? yeah, Tammy's <laughs> was worse. Because they accused her, her then-husband of killing her or something, and they, they exhumed the body so that they could see if she had been poisoned. And it was just nobody got money, and the husband had a girlfriend. And, and they ended up marrying. Who, and who got all of Tammy's stuff. And, and they got nothing. And the girls, you know, the daughters really... And I know that Tammy thought that she had taken care of them, but whatever happened, you know, in the legal world of what went down, those kids got screwed. And so often you see that with, you know, um, the older country people. The big problem, you know, with so many of the legends, you know, that are dying or have died are the wills. And they always think they're going to be really smart and you know, protect um, their kids, but they almost always end up getting screwed. The kids do. The kids get screwed. The person who died got screwed because it's, you know, their intention was better than what happens. And I don't know why it is that it always ends up like that, but, you know, it, you know, you look back on, you know, Conway Twitty, on Tammy Wynette, on, you know, I'm sure, you know, to some degree, the George Jones kids, you know, certainly some of them, for sure. These people make video wills. 
so that no one can contest it. And I think that the reason it's like that is so many of these people grew up dirt poor and they are so nervous that they're going to end up that way again that they just want to, you know... I'll tell you who else is like that. James Brown is probably still lying in state somewhere. His family, you know, didn't want to put the body in the ground until it was settled who was getting the money. But then there were a lot of ancillary funerals. Evelyn doesn't believe it could have happened to, to, to begin with because she doesn't think that any, you know... I don't believe that if any funeral home or cemetery would, would allow you to, to play with a dead body... Well, but and prop them up or do anything of that nature. Now, there was a dinner party for when George Ritchie died. His then wife uh, had had like a sort of mini career in reality TV. Now we're talking years ago, so uh, it wasn't quite you know what it has evolved into now. But she got this idea, I guess, that that she was going to do a reality show around her life as the you know, the widower or something. Well, she also and, had a lot of women her age. She used to be a Dallas... Um, cheerleader, yeah, cowboy cheerleader. Cowboy cheerleader. So um, she uh, decided to begin filming this reality show uh, with George Ritchie's funeral, including a dinner party. At the mortuary, at the goddamn place where the drawers are and everybody's in there. And she apparently had them bring out George's body and put it in or leave it in the drawer or whatever drawer he was in and prop him up. And they gave him, you know, like a plate of food. I don't know after how many days this was of him being dead. But, you know, unless he was embalmed pretty good, I can't see how they could have done it. But you know, there apparently he was in he was in the reality show. I don't think that's quite true. I think that you know it's an, you know because we weren't there. No, and, thank God. Um, I think that like she you know placed the table and everything in uh, the area of where uh, Tammy was buried, and maybe maybe the coffin was you know out on a on a side you know thing or something. But I don't think that they could, you know, lift his body out of the casket. And they didn't. Up. They lifted the coffin out of the casket and had the, the cas coffin and the casket are the same thing as the body that's in there. You're <laughs> there with a plate of prime rib and some no. roasted potatoes, and that's what she said. And a coke with a lot of ice in it because that's what he liked to drink—a lot of ice, honey. And so uh, I don't know. They were all so crazy, you know. When they took Tammy's mother home when she died, they had her under the bus in the bay. You know the bay? That's where Tammy's mother rode home to Red Bay, Alabama. This is a terrible story, but it's actually a funny story. It was during fanfare, and um, back in the day, all of the celebrities did a fan club party of some sort, someplace. And Tammy's fan club party was out at her house on Franklin Road. And, you know, it's a huge property and really beautiful. And um, Tammy's fan club was run by these really butch dykes. And they just worshipped Tammy. And um, Tammy's mother got really sick. And, you know, we're going over to the house to get ready. Lima. We had Lisa Gibbons, who was then the... Uh, 
host of Entertainment Tonight, who is going to do a story on the Tammy um, fan club party. Well, we get out there, and Tammy's mother is dying in the bed. And Meemaw. Tammy is just, you know, hysterical. She hasn't had her hair done. She hasn't done makeup. And she just, a wig. you know, looks, you know, wicked. And she's racing around with all these fan club people out in the yard. And um, the fan club, pre you know, president and all of them immediately go into action. And they're barring anybody from coming into the property. Susan's waiting for her friend, Julia Reed, the writer, to come for Vogue. <laughs> and we're all in there, and Tammy insists on bringing all of these people to meet her mother. And she's lying there, dying. And expectorating. <laughs> <laughs> and she brought everyone in. Meemaw, this is Lisa Gibbons. <laughs> and it was a crazy situation. And then Tammy says, oh, I'll get ready. Well, you knew it was going to be at least a two- or three-hour process, and it was like, I don't think so. I don't know, but I feel like we went to more funerals that were We went Eddie. to a lot of funerals. Oh, well, I know. Like Eddie Arnold's. No, like like um, Donna Hilly's. Donna Hilly's, that was really sad. So, I mean, you know, that's yeah, part of that life. Really you get old sad. and you go to funerals. Although Susan's now not going to funerals. I'm not going anymore. What good does it do? The people that die don't know that you're there. The people that, you know, are related to them are so grief-stricken. I don't think they're sitting there taking notes on who showed up. And if they are, they're idiots. So I'm not going to go to anybody's funeral anymore. Thanks for listening. You be sure to subscribe, and we'll be sure to catch you off guard. So light one up and lighten up. Tune in for our next episode called The Institutions. We'll be talking about the iconic organizations and award shows that make up country music, the Grand Old Opry, the ACM Awards, the CMA Awards, and more. Some of our most wacky stories start there, so be sure to tune in next Tuesday. We want to hear from you. Music City is an absolute rumor mill. There are so many tall tales Nashville is built on. Some are true, some are false, but we sure get a laugh out of all of them. If you've heard a rumor about a country music icon, Nashville, or the music industry, submit it on our website at www.shadyladiesofmusiccity.com for the chance to have it addressed on our Music City Miss segment in our next episode. So share and tell your friends. Then rate, review, and subscribe. Don't be quiet about this. We need you to tell everyone, because why is someone going to listen to this? No one has any idea who that we are, so it's up to you to get us known. It has to be a viral thing. It has to be a, uh, you know, word-of-mouth thing, because we're putting our faith in your hands. We are. For more information on the podcast, please visit www.shadyladiesofmusiccity.com. Shady Ladies of Music City is recorded and produced in Nashville, Tennessee, and is presented by Monument Records. Executive producers are Jason Owen, Shane McAnally, and Katie McCartney. Our producer is Sarah DeHilly. Our theme song is written and performed by Robert Shavers. He is also our engineer and editor.